0: This is a Main Hustle Media podcast. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast, and when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back, listening to Militantly mixed. Hi and welcome to Militantly Mixed, a podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, and I am re-recording my intro for this week's episode because I have been sick the last week or so, and when I recorded my Intro on Saturday night, kind of in the wee hours of the night. I sounded awful, and I was just listening back to it, getting ready to upload this episode for y'all, and it sounded way too pathetic. So, no, we're not gonna do that. My voice is better today. I'm still sick, but it sounds better today. So, re recording. Uh, a couple things I wanna chat about before we get into this episode is uh, last week on Tuesday, before I got sick, I got a chance to go meet a former guest of Militantly Mix. I've been talking about it the last couple weeks. I got to see Alison Hart, the author of Mostly White, the novel about the four generations of mixed race women. She did a reading out in Pasadena, California, um, for, at the bookstore of Rom- Romans, Romans with a V. So I went out there and I got to hear her do her reading, which was awesome. She read from three sections of the book. And um, what I really like about going to a reading or even audio booking where the author is the person who reads the book, what I like about doing that is that you get the cadence and the intent that the author had in the characters when they, when they read them and everything like that. So now at the time I had gone to that event, I had only been about three chapters into the book. And now that I've heard her read it, my continual reading of it is now in the cadence and the voices that she provided at that night of the read, which I'm really into. That may not be your thing. That's my thing. So I really, I really like that I had that chance to hear her read. And then afterwards, myself, two other mixed race ladies, a friend of Allison Hart, the five of us all went to a cafe at the end of the reading, and we just chat into like couple hours in. And most of us were strangers to each other. I mean, my only interaction with Allison had been over Skype before this, and uh, she did bring a friend, but everybody else was, I believe, strangers to each other. They certainly were to me. And but you wouldn't have known it. We were just five mixed race women talking about, or four mixed race women and one monoracial woman talking about, you know, womanhood and sisterhood and mixedness and, um, of colorness and things like that. And I just, it was an awesome night. It was just really nice to get together with other people who are sort of on board with the same thing that is going on in your life. You know, our lives are kind of shaped. By our mixedness and it's nice to sit down and talk to other people who have that same sort of background, even if we come from different heritages. And it was just awesome. It makes me want to have like a, a monthly mixed race ladies day or something like that, luncheon or something like that, because it was it was really um gratifying and uplifting to have something like that. It was amazing. So yeah, I just wanted to share that because it was like a happy mixed person moment. And uh next thing, what else is the other thing I wanna talk about? I don't remember. Not important. Um, That was the important thing, is that I really enjoyed that night and getting a chance to hear Allison Hart read. And I hope that I get to see her again in person next time she comes down to Southern California or maybe I'll make my way up to the Bay Area, whichever. It was a great night. So if you haven't already, please check out Allison's book, Mostly White. It is a novel. Try to get it from a local bookstore, preferably uh, owned by a person of color. And just kind of spread that love in that direction. That would be awesome. I mean, it is available on Amazon and all those kinds of things. But uh, sometimes the slightly less convenient thing of going to a local store or um, ordering that way or whatever takes a little bit longer, or you got to go out of your way to get it. But you are putting money directly into your community. And if on top of that, it's also a person of color who owns the store, that's one more level of getting it into your community. So yeah, okay. From there, let's move on to this week's episode. This, <laughs> this. This week's episode, I have got to control myself, y'all. I do not know why I can't. I'm just so enjoying of these interviews that it is really hard for me to get to a place where I'm like, okay, we got to stop so that we can make a full episode. I, this week's guest and I talked for about two hours and 47 minutes. I am not going to suggest you to two hours and 47 minutes worth of interview for this episode, Um, but what I am going to do is chunk out about an hour of it. And then there are other parts in the later part of the interview that I do want to share. So not next week, but the but in a few weeks, we'll come back and revisit this guest uh, so that you can kind of get her full picture because we we kind of talked about so many different things uh, across Mixness that um, it would be nice to bring that back. And I already have a couple other episodes planned for the next couple of weeks. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, this week's guest, her name is Rebecca Vega Romero. And I apologize for my Spanish accent because, you know, I don't have a very good one. Uh, she will pronounce... her name correctly when you actually hear her speak. Uh, She is of Jewish and Cuban descent and uh, she's an actress in New York, a working actress, and between the first time we spoke and the time we actually recorded was about a month and a half or so, maybe even longer. Uh, But we had been in contact at least over Instagram and then email and then Skype and stuff like that uh, for a few months before we actually got to speak for the recording. She's awesome. I like talking to her as a regular ass person, as a guest, as whatever. And she is someone that I would describe as an ethnic chameleon. And I didn't own. I'm not going to take ownership of the term because that is actually the name of her musical theater cabaret group uh, that she has with a bunch of other mixed race people she cre- co-created. But when she said that, ter- that name to me, the name of her group, I was like, oh shit, that's you. Because she has this unique thing, and I talk about it in the episode, of depending on which direction her face is sh- facing towards you, she either looks kind of whitish or she looks kind of Latinish, or she looks kind of black like she is an ethnic chameleon her face changes race depending on what position it is at when you're looking at it it's amazing um you're not going to see that obviously because this is an audio podcast but i got to see it when we skyped and i thought it was pretty cool about her so i'm not going to get too far into it like i said we're only going to cut about an hour of this episode of this interview into this episode and then we'll revisit her in a few weeks uh so we can hear the rest of her Um, interview. But just like, let's keep this thing going. I am just so in love with mixedness more than I have ever been in my life. I thought I was the most mixed I could be, but this show just makes me mixed AF. And I love y'all for participating, whether you're jumping on the show or hitting us up on social media or sending me emails or just listening. That's that's awesome too because we need to hear our stories reflected back at us. So as I do every week, if you want to come on the show or you want to be considered the show, I have slowed down my interviews for the time being because I do have several months worth of interview or episodes to put out. Um, but if you got something going on that you really want to promote right away or something like that, feel free to still hit me up and we'll make that work out. But yeah, come on the show. Start talking to me. Let's, let's get some mixed race representation for you out there you can email me at charmaine at militantlymixed.com that's s as in sam h-a-r-m as in mary a n as in nancy e at militantlymixed.com or follow us on our social media at militantlymixed on twitter on instagram and you can search us on facebook under that as well and then don't forget to subscribe rate and review on whichever podcasting platform you listen to because the more you subscribe and rate and review us all three of those the more eyes get to see us will be suggested more often and then more people can hear us so if you needed it to hear mixed race stories you can guarantee someone else did so the more you push it share it with your friends whatever the further it'll get out over the last couple weeks i've been checking our map we've gotten into columbia trinidad and tobago where else have we gotten into that's new uh shoot there was a few other places uh i think we got into did we get into Cuba? i don't think we got into cuba but we definitely are the Dominican. Republic in Jamaica, and we're in Mexico now, and we're in Chile now, so people are picking us up across the world and it is awesome keep sharing with your friends share on social media it only takes two seconds and it helps us keep going and growing just like sponsorship does as you know this is a fan sponsored podcast so if you want to help support the show and help keep us going uh, you can go to patreon.com Mix for a monthly subscription with reward levels or you can drop us a quick one-time only donation at paypal.me Mix. all the money Goes back into the show. Right now, we're covering mostly our hosting fees and a little bit of equipment upgrades and things like that. So every little bit counts. I don't take any of it personally. Not yet. Not till I can start uh, making some real money doing this. But um, for for now, we're just putting everything back in the show to help keeping us going. So I think that's good. I think that's everything. I definitely don't sound as sick as my pathetic first intro was. And yeah, let's get going without further ado. Here is. Rebecca. Excited to come back today because I haven't spoken to my guest in almost a month, and she's been doing big things on the stage since the last time we talked. Please help me <laughs> welcome Rebecca Vega Romero to the show, and then you go ahead and say your name correctly.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you, Charmaine. <laughs> um, no, that's cool. I grew up hearing it pronounced that way a lot. I grew up in New York, but yeah. um, I say Rebecca Vega Romero. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be talking to you today. I'm a little nervous, actually. But... I have to be nervous. Um,
0: <laughs> so the funny thing is, is that people don't realize I'm recording them the entire time from the time the call starts. But it's the second that you realize <laughs> you're being recorded that everything changes.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. They're so different from like... Like you'd think I wouldn't get nervous because I like to get up in front of people and sing and act and stuff. But it's really different when you're speaking as yourself.
0: (laughs) Right. It's the same for me because I I don't think of myself as very shy and I'm really performancey. So if I can if I can capture an audience of any kind, I love it. But every time I'm about to start the show, I get weird. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, hi. All right, let's get started. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, so why don't you tell everybody, uh, why don't you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your ethnic background and, and
1: then we'll get into we'll get into it. Sure. Um, so I'm Rebecca. I'm a native New Yorker. I think that's like a really big part of who I am. I grew up in the city um, and I'm mixed race. My mom is a white Jewish lady from the suburbs of Philly. And my father is a black man from Havana, from Cuba. So they had completely different life experiences. And uh, on top of being from two different races and two different countries, they also grew up in two different religions. My dad grew up um, in Catholic school and he was an altar boy. Mm. So. Those are the two big differences. And of course, being from Cuba, his family is like very, very mixed. Um, But they would never talk about it that way. That's like not the language that I've ever heard used from that side of the family. Um, They're just Cuban and that's it. But if you like investigate at all, you'll find on that side, I have, you know, people who were have been descended from slaves, um, Taíno, which is the Native American tribe there, and um, Spanish, and then also Dutch. Oh, I didn't. I realize the Dutch, Dutch grandmother to
0: Cuba, either.
1: I don't know when. I don't know how big of a surge that was, but there's like my dad's dad's mother was a redhead from the Netherlands, mm. and then I my mom's mom had has red hair, so that's how I ended up uh, genetic improbability. <laughs> um, actually, I had a guest recently who also. Um, their
0: family, they're Puerto Rican and they're mixed with Taino. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so and that's actually something that's come up a lot with all of our Afro-Latinas and one Afro-Latino that I've had on the show so far is that it's even just like in your case, because you do have parents that are two different races um, for them. It's I, it was like learning to identify their mixed heritage because they were just Puerto Rican or just Dominican or you know um,
1: oh yeah I listened to um, the most recent one that aired Palmyra Uh, yeah yeah I thought that was fascinating to me because it's just very different from my experience of it yeah
0: it's a a part that I really like investigating for the show just because um, I think you know some of our cultures or some of our ethnic groups are mixed heritage but once they they persist through time after you know they become their own thing and so it's hard and then the cultures develop around it so it is kind of hard to identify whether or not they're, you can still claim mix or feel that you can claim mix but when all the people in your family are different colors that's really where the, the race aspect <laughs> comes in so um, and it happens way more for the Latinx world I think than almost every other every other group yeah. but, but there's different aspects of it in almost every other um, ethnic group, too. So it's interesting. So I like to explore it. But let's get into you. So um, so you are an actress, a working actress in New York, and you just recently were on stage. You want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Um, I just did a play at the Metropolitan Playhouse. and They do forgotten American plays or plays that maybe didn't get their fair shake the first time out things like that. Um, so this play was written in the 1920s. It's by Philip Barry, who wrote the movie The Philadelphia Story, which is like, if anyone, I don't know do if you know it. I've seen it. Uh, of course. Okay, great. That, <laughs> I was like, I have a feeling. Um, so yeah. So for those of you listening who don't know, it's um a sort of bittersweet rom-com starring Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant and Jimmy Stewart. This is that author's first play. So it's very similar themes of like comedy, romance, a little like the tragedy of life. But it's all Mm -hmm. very, very much um, white people problems.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Starring mixed race, Rebecca
1: (laughs) Romero. (laughs) Yeah. And um, it was my first role back under that name. So I three or four years ago, yeah four years ago. Um, Right around the time that I got married, I decided to change my performing name and like straighten my hair and try to be more like lean into the white presenting side, Mm -hmm. which is something that has chased my career. I started acting when I was a kid. And the first agent I had insisted that um, I go by the name Rebecca Irene which is my middle name, mm-hmm. because she said no one would know what to do with a little redheaded girl whose name was Vega Romero. Right. And my parents went along with it because it was the 90s. And that was t- a totally acceptable thing to say. But it, <laughs> looking back on it as an adult, that was like so damaging to my sense of identity. right? Um, So I did get some of what I wanted out of changing my name. Um, but as I started realizing that there were some other things in my life that needed to change. Like I just got divorced. Um, I realized I missed being myself, if that makes sense. And, um, that anyone who didn't want to work with my complicated self, I didn't want to work with, you know, like if the idea that I'm super pale, but I'm Afro Latina, if that would be a problem in casting me, then that's not the kind of art I want to make. I think that's an idea that has
0: been kind of becoming more and more present in the news with actresses nowadays, in particular mixed race actresses. So, and of course, I don't have her name off the top of my head, but the actress that plays Quake on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is mixed Asian and white, and she has a white sounding name, but that's because she has a white parent, I believe, is her father. And so she so they're saying, oh, you should change your name to look more Asian because that's what you look more like. And she's like, well, no, right. um, I'm going to own my own, my whole identity. And it right. just so happens that I happen to be a mixed Asian. And I've been I guess one of the actresses from Crazy Rich Stations had that come up to Olivia Munn has had that be an issue for her as well so it's like it's this common thing of like either cast based off of what the world is actually like you know with all of the different intersectional people that are out there in the world or don't even entertain the thought of putting me in your thing if you're going to make if you're going to erase my identity right
1: um i think that's it's so important especially because lately i've been writing a lot and looking into like historical stuff and finding that there it's not like a new thing being mixed race is not a new thing. Right. It's just, especially in America, people like me who were, who had one black parent and one white parent and then came out looking very pale. I mean, I think my features, I look like a white female version of my father very strongly. <laughs> um, like there's some of my mom there. I think I have her chin, but my eyes and my nose, um, and my body shape is also very Latina. Like I had a big butt <laughs> and it took me a long time to. Embrace that because that's not what I grew up with. Anyway, what I'm saying is like people who look like me who could maybe quote unquote pass as white were often like cut off from their families and forced to live like in hiding. Yeah.
0: yeah. And it was it could be either for an opportunity or just straight up survival or exactly. whatever. It's interesting that you describe yourself as sort of like a white or pale looking version of your dad, because <laughs> I, I have that same issue. I like you when I tan and when my hair is curly, I'm the spinning image of my father. I my eye shape is similar to my mother's, but Everything else about my face is my father's, including my hairline, if I actually pull back (laughs) my bangs, I, I have his hairline. But I'm pale, you know. I'm I'm the yellow, yellow brown version of my black father, uh, and I think a lot of us come out looking like our fathers because of genetics. It's like helping to make them bond with us, so they don't abandon our oh. mothers. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> um, but it's interesting when we are mixed race and we come out paler looking than, say, our darker skinned parents is is because we're walking around the world as as like legit black people. Where we look like black people, we're just so pale that white people can't figure it out usually. Is, yeah but, but do you I, when we talked before so I'll just break away before I say this thought when when you actually see Rebecca, her race <laughs> changes depending on what angle her face is facing you at the
1: time <laughs> it's actually that's, that's legit <laughs> it's pretty
0: remarkable because in the entire time we spoke, we were on video chat the first time, and you do look white ish but there's some For me, a mixed person, I'm looking at you and I see something else going on, but I can see how a monoracial person might just go, yeah, that's a white girl, whatever. Mm-hmm. So you do kind of do that a little bit face on. But when you turn your face, you do become Latina like that, like boom. Yeah. And then you actually did one thing where you just looked behind you and it was just the back of your head. And, and I was, and then you turned (laughs) back around and I was like, oh my gosh, you changed again. It like your whole, you have a whole thing. Your race changes depending on what angle your face is facing the person who's looking at you. And it's pretty remarkable. But (laughs) that, because now that I've said that, when we were talking before about that, um trying to find your identity, when trying to match your identity your face or your your presentation to your identity and being forced by your own parents basically to erase yourself as a child for your performance like all of that bottled up inside of you as an adult when it breaks open you must have just had a period of time that you were just like what am i like what am i allowed to be i'm pale i'm black i'm i'm jewish i'm latin like what am i (laughs) so
1: let's get (laughs) into a little bit
0: how that is for you
1: that's like that. Time, I think, is now that like sort of breaking down of the that's sort of what I've been going through the last couple of years is figuring out Hmm. what am I allowed to claim, what is empowering for me to claim right. what is, you know, I, I, what's like going to do good in the world too, because I don't want to be like, I would never, <laughs> especially because I have siblings who are different shades than I am. I can look at my siblings and be like, oh, they've walked very different paths than I have. Right. My brother is, his mom is black too, so he looks like a black man. Mm. And my, my little sister has got more of an olivey skin tone and she looks stereotypically Latina. Mm. And it's just, the the sort of comments that I've encountered and the way that I've walked through the world has been very different. Um, But I think that, sort of chameleon thing of like I look different depending on how you look at me and what context in which you look at me. That's sort of um, something I'm trying to embrace mm-hmm. and um, that's why that was a big reason that I pushed for us to take the name Ethnic Chameleons with my, I have a cabaret group. We've done a couple concerts here in the city and I want to do more um, and we're all mixed race performers.
0: Yeah, I'm, so I'm <laughs> excited to talk about this with you because we we got into it a little bit about a month or so ago and, and I think because, you you were about to start your play. You you weren't able to um, do something for for the chameleons, but let's get into the origin of that group and all of the all of the reasons behind trying to push mixed race representation out in front of audiences.
1: Yeah. So really, um, we came together because of an acting coach. Her name's Jen Waldman. She runs Jen Waldman Studio here in New York City. And if you do musical theater, you should check her out. She's amazing. But um, I was kind of going through this. I had gotten back from a national tour and I was feeling very disempowered by the industry. I was still using my other name and I had just started like experimenting with wearing my hair natural again. And I was like, Mm. like I don't fit in. And if I embrace who I really am, which will, I think, allow me to make better art, I'm afraid I won't get to work. Um, Right. I don't know how to change that perception in the industry. Like I can't cast myself in something. Um, And at the same time in a different class that she was teaching, um, my friend Kelsey, who I didn't know at the time was also saying the same thing. Uh, So Jen put us together. Hmm. She was like, you guys need to meet. You're having a similar issue. So we, we met up and then we found, uh, I found a couple of other people and um, we were just like, let's put on a show. Let's talk about this and also like do what we do. Yeah. Let's like use musical theater to talk about the issues of being someone who doesn't fit in the box in an industry that's all about boxing you in. Right. And awesome. late like literally something that happens is typecasting where they'll be like oh what's your type are you the girl next door are you the villain are you and we have all of these because it's america we have all of these like racialized ideas about who gets to play what role right so and
0: isn't that a weird thing about casting like or about acting in
1: general like we really
0: want to typecast people and yet the whole thing about acting is being someone that you
1: yourself are not so yeah why do we type <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's really true. And I'm finding that as I'm trying to move into more of an actor creator role, like I, I'm writing, um, I have a short film that I'm trying to get produced that is ex- explicitly deals with being mixed race, but it's, it's a comedy. Um, what I'm, what I'm finding is I'm really hungry to see families that look like mine mm-hmm. and to see people who look like me. And I can't be the only one because I think it's starting to come up more and more. There is, um is two. I'm like, a, do you like um Christmas movies? Like cheesy? I gross, mean, I'll watch anything. like. Movies? I,
0: like I, I, <laughs> I, seriously, because I went to film school, I have I always say that I'm professional. I'm professionally trained to watch movies, whether they're trash or not. And I can sit through the stupidest, awful movie and be like, <laughs> Oh, the use of non-diegetic music, or um, you know, or something, <laughs> some bullshit like that, all the way up to you know masterpieces or whatever. So I can sit there and I can sit through some campy stuff and have no problems I... whatsoever.
1: <laughs> okay, because two movies that I watched this week made me incredibly happy. Um, they're neither of them are very good, but both of them have a mixed race girl as the lead. Yeah. Oh. Um, and you see, you get to see her family. And it's never commented on. It's never like that's awesome. The, that's never the point of the story. So it's um, the holiday calendar was one, which is like a new Netflix film. I have seen I'm that sure. pop up on my thing, but I haven't even
0: ventured to click on it.
1: Yeah, it's it's worth watching just for that because it just makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I can't remember what the other one was, but I'll I'll look it up and I'll let you know. And it's stuff like that, like which I think they're. It's not super. It's not the newest thing, but it's more and more prevalent. Yeah.
0: When I was a kid and I'm quite a bit older than you. So for me, it was a legit desert of mixed race people. Like if there was, say, a light skinned black person in a family, it was never about. You know, the fact that they had mixed blood in any way, shape or form. It was just like the way white people casted black people. It's like, oh, they're all black. So they must all be the same, even if some are clearly biracial and some aren't or, you know, things like that. And you just or if they did ever happen to address it, it was always a black father with a white mother. And it was always some kind of problem that that white bitch is in the family Or, um, (laughs) or that black man is ruining our daughter, you know, so it was never, never just, and this is what I talk about all the time. Like we just want movies where we're just regular. Like it's almost better that they, they never acknowledge the fact that people are mixed and they're just in the family and you're just meant to. For people who can't deal with it, you're just meant to deal with the fact that they're that they have different color family and be like, oh, but they it's possible for them to all be related because that's our experience. All, none of our parents look the same. They're always different colors. And we just want to see somebody that looks like us so that we don't think we're the weird, weirdest family on the planet. Yeah,
1: exactly that. <laughs> um, I, and it's it's that it's wanting to see it normalized. But then also. What, what I'd love to see is it's normalized, but it doesn't mean it's never talked about. Like, because um, when it's never like you don't mention it at all, then it's like uh, you're saying you're colorblind. Yeah, you no, know?
0: that's true, too. Colorblindness is a problem. Actually, I'm trying to figure out how to deal with addressing someone who brought up colorblind uh, that she doesn't see color on Facebook. today. Oh, God. And the weird part <laughs> is she's mixed race also, um, but she was responding to something I posted about blackness. And um, I don't want to alienate the relationship, the Facebook relationship. But at the same time, I, I want to. Give her access to the information about how Reese's colorblindness
1: is. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that that last phrase might be the key. There is saying like, "I just want to give you access to some information. Make of it what you will."
0: Yeah, uh, it's one of those topics that make me so angry that I know that um, it's hard to not come off like, "Listen." <laughs> For me, the the topic is so sensitive that I, I have I struggle to not come off as like really aggressive about it, where I'm just like, you know, your colorblindness erases my uniqueness or my mixedness or whatever, um, or any person of color gets erased because of this thing. And it's it's not acknowledging the difficulties that we have as people of color. Just because you say that you're going to treat us with humanity doesn't mean that you not acknowledging that we are different is a positive. Um And it's just one of those things of, like, when I see it, I get so angry. So, like, I need to do the 10 count to, like, come down and be like, (laughs) okay, let's try to talk about this in a more productive way. Because my initial reaction is almost always like, ah, why does this concept persist? It's so, it's such an annoying idea. And I, I am not a big fan of any of those racist things that people don't think are racist that are meant from a good place like they're it's coming from a good place but they don't realize why it's bad and to try to to try to explain that to somebody who is trying to be thoughtful <laughs> it just oh, it's, yeah. it's such a struggle it's such a struggle
1: something you said that like has really struck a chord with me that it makes me a little nervous to talk about on the record but I'm going to say it yeah, no, something you've you've mentioned no. several times is like that growing up you wanted to be darker yeah. And that was like, I can't tell you, oh, I'm going to start crying. Wow. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's one of those topics just, that's really tough. <laughs> I just was so sure my whole life that like, if I was darker, my dad would love me more. Yeah. And I hate talking about it because I don't want to sound like the tragic mulatta. Like, I don't like that stereotype. But man, that at least for me, was is so true. It's like, like, that I just felt like I didn't belong in that specifically because I was so light there was like something wrong with me
0: yeah I I understand I understand that feeling and it is a tough one especially because you don't always come out of feeling that way unscathed like even now Though I am comfortable in my mixed skin and um, and I you know I know who I am I'm fine with my like, sort of hierarchical view of my race even at 41 I'm struggling to occasionally struggling struggling with the idea that I'm not dark enough so that uh, <laughs> it's um it's such an awkward thing it's 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 uh, I yeah. have I have a I have what I ref- what I think of as similar to survivor's remorse where it comes to my light skin. Or, or like my light skin privilege. It's so weird that you brought this up too, because I I just had a conversation with someone about this earlier. um, Where it's not that I want the all of the negative stuff that comes along with being darker skin, but I also don't want to not get that just because the roll of the dice made me yellow you know and so even though i have a face that black people usually identify right away and i am part of the club usually pretty quickly um there's still moments in which i'm an outsider there's still aspects of blackness in which i am an outsider um and if and this is going to sound really stupid but this is a feeling this is an exact feeling i've had several times if we're in a dark space, and I'm not darker, but I'm but it's a black, like it's a blackness related thing. Like, let's say it's a comedy club, and it's a black show or something like that. And I'm laughing along to the things that if a white person was laughing along, they'd get the shit kicked out of them. <laughs> um Oh, my God, you know, I would be worried because that is my experience. I am black, I grew up in a black household, in a black neighborhood, my culture is black. Even though I'm mixed race, I'm primarily culturally black. So if I'm in, let's say, a comedy club that's a, it's a black comedy club and they're talking about a topic that is very specific to blackness or even more specific to hood blackness, which is my upbringing, and I'm busting up alongside all the, all the black people and I'm not at an angle in which they can see my face right away and they're looking at my yellowness wondering what the fuck am I laughing about. <laughs> <laughs> Those are moments, too, in which I have almost a like, a you know, it's almost like wanting to wear the wristband or the T-shirt and be like, no, I mix and I grew up black and it's OK, I'm from Long Beach. I can you know, this was my experience, too, <laughs> you know, and you don't want to have yeah. to go through a whole explanation. And that that kind of stuff can be painful and it can be scary. And there's also moments, too, in which if I were darker or presented a little bit more black, then a lot more about me would make sense to people. Because I'm always explaining, why is my name Charmaine Latrice Franklin? You know, why why is it spelled with an S, you know, and not a C? Why doesn't it have an I in it? Why do I have a capital letter, a lowercase letter, and a capital letter inside one word? You know? (laughs) um, Oh, yeah. Things like that. You know, there's so many things about me even my personality that would make a lot more sense to people if I just was a little bit darker and um and at my teenage through my young adulthood you know 20 25 say this stuff was painful and I would I would cry about not being black enough and then feel stupid that I'm crying but can't help that I'm in pain I'm really legitimately in pain over not being darker skin now as a 40 year old I still have the same exact feelings, uh, but I I have tried to put them in a, a framework or uh, um, I mean, I'm, Rebecca, I'm still trying to understand it. You know, I'm still trying to understand, like, what is this thing that <laughs> yeah. I need to do to make myself feel more comfortable? And even now as a host of a mixed race show, not even one mixed race show, t- two mixed race shows, uh, or at least shows that have the topic of mixedness involved, to sit here and be like, you know, I'm not comfortable that I'm not dark enough. I, I, it feels yeah. stupid, you know, like I feel like I should have my shit together a little bit more, but I can't help it there. It's an insecurity that I still have. In the reverse of you, though, um, if I were darker skinned, I would have I would have had less of my father's attention because my black father was very self-loathing, even though he moved us to the hood and everything like that. He was still very self-loathing where it came to his blackness. And so that would have been a different thing, I think, there. Um, Not that I necessarily feel like I had much of his love anyway, because he's very abusive. But the the disregarding because I embrace the blackness blackness so much i was disregarded quite a bit by my father whereas my my brother embraced the whiteness and they had a closer relationship albeit my dad was still abusive to him as well so you know it's a weird it's a whole thing and i still deal with it and it's not fixed it's not i mean i just i all i can say is that i haven't gone so far as to do skin darkeners (laughs) even though i found (laughs) out that they exist That's like, like do you mean
1: like like melanin like, self, like melanin like melanin enhancers really
0: yeah there's there's uh, medications that people can take um so it's actually the weird thing about this medication is it's designed for people that are so pale that they can't function in the sun um you know like Ooh. so for folks like well I'm not that pale like Scandinavian folks if they lived in the people darker like skin, a skin disorder yeah it it basically stimulates your your melanin and so you do come out darker and then it you know it could be supplement to like a t- tans obviously like it's not like I don't lay out if I go to the beach or whatever but it's it's not that I'm I haven't been so obsessive about the skin dark skin that I go through lengths to make myself darker regularly but it's just one of those things it's like because it has to be natural and you know I'm just mad that I didn't end up darker it's a point of pain and like you know the way you feel about it you're probably gonna still feel the same like I do 20 years later but um
1: (laughs) I I haven't worked it out I haven't worked it all the way out
0: (laughs) it's just there
1: yeah I mean the skin the skin darkening thing like I definitely have used self- I quit doing that a couple of years ago because it felt like wrong to me but I I remember the first time I ever used it was because of a show to oh, really? circle back to that but uh, I was doing West Side Story with my very white mostly white community because I was living up in Riverdale in the Bronx which is a heavily Jewish neighborhood of New York we okay. moved a lot so that wasn't really where I grew up but that was at high school where I lived during high school. Um, and, you know, my white best friend, my blonde white best friend, her mom was a director and cast her as Maria. And had, <laughs> and had us all, <laughs> yeah, oh, you want to talk about fucked up. Oh, and um, me. had us all wear self-tanner. Oh, no. Black- How old were you when this was it's again? 16. Oh, gosh. So, so damaging. Like, I think you can laugh about it now, but, oh, I get angry thinking about that. Yeah. Um, and like you know people for me anyway I like I have changed a bit as I've grown up like my my hair got darker it used to be like really red when I was little and now it's naturally like a darker brown it looks like more of a I don't know like more it's just without the red it looks less white girl yeah But I had such as so much of my identity was built up around being a redhead a redheaded Latina that I, I put red highlights in because it makes me feel like myself again oh, well, or like okay. I used to only burn in the sun but now I get darker. It's just, I'm so pale, you wouldn't notice. (laughs) (laughs) Like, just like, oh, she's got kind of a yellow tint now. (laughs) She's still pale. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's interesting that you're as you're getting older, you're changing more in a direction that does show off your um, Afro Latina side. I mean, even like right now, I'm looking at the headshot that you have for your image, and you don't look like a white girl to me in that you definitely look like Honestly, you look like you could be an amazing-ass host to a, um, a Univision show because you got, like, the big smile and, and you got that pose going. You you definitely look more Latina in this picture than... Um... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, also, so that was something that happened when we first saw each other, too. Um, and this tends to happen whenever we I get on with a new person when I do the pre-screen, you know, I always do the video. And, you know, I see your face right away and I'm like, you know, because you and I you're exchanging emails beforehand, and you're like, "Yeah, I'm white passing, and da da da." And I have all these issues about the whiteness, and then I see you, and I'm like, "Hello, mixed girl, what are you talking about?" Um, and and it happens to a lot of people that I end up talking to, especially the, it's it's happened more with the uh, white passing folks, where I can, as a mixed race person who has you know spidey sense about mixedness, I'm <laughs> I'm digging out all of oh, yeah. the different things, and so that that little bit of validation just from another mixed person to like it, just changes it, it the does. course of the conversation
1: it really it does it's like a healing thing to hear um and then I always wonder I, I'm I'm finding it fascinating that you're saying you you get that more from the people who are white passing that you speak to because that was kind of a theory I had like a personal theory just based on my family that it seems like of my of the three of us the Romero siblings I'm the person who spends the most time like actively thinking and talking about being mixed. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I. But when I first heard your podcast, and you you responded to the post that I did about it, um, like back this summer when we dropped this, and we started going back and forth, and you asked me to be on the show, I was like, I reached out to my little sister, and she and I have a kind of tempestuous relationship. Mm. We're just very different people, mm. but we had like a really sincere conversation where I was like, you know, I'm just I've been doing all of this like soul searching around this. I'm doing I have my ethnic group, and that like it means a lot to me to explore not just one side of the family or, or the other but like what it means to be a mixed person in the world and I'm like what do you think like I feel like we've never talked about it and she she was like oh yeah I don't know I don't really think it's like like, what's the point in talking about it we just are who we are and then we were talking about other things and like 10 minutes later she comes back at me with oh I remember this I do remember being a little kid and being in the bath and I made up this song for mom and it was just singing about different people and I went and it, it got I'm gonna get this wrong she was like I sang I'm black I'm white but what am I and mm. she was talking about like who like what is she and I asked my mom later I was like, mom do you remember this like little song and she was like oh yeah she used to sing that all the time I don't remember at
0: all oh really yeah that's interesting
1: yeah did she
0: feel this? So because she presents, you said she presents the most Latina of of you all. Does she oh, just yeah. blend fully and embrace the Latina side or, or does she, is she not a, address her mixes? Is that what her deal is?
1: She just doesn't. I, yeah, I don't think she really addresses it like I don't want to speak on her behalf. Sure. Yeah. But is like she's also more she considers herself more Jewish than I do like um, but she has three kids and their dad is Dominican so her kids look very Latina the
0: mm. aspect of it is interesting because uh, my brother and I have this too in which he sort of embraced the white side and I've embraced the black side um, I do make a joke and I'll, I'll bleep out his name because I don't Uh, have his permission or whatever but like I make a joke about the reason why I'm black is because I'm my name is Charmaine Latrice and the reason why he is white is because his name is and it, it, because he was named for my father, and my father is the half Brit, half black, half Brit, and um, they took their middle name is my British grandmother's last name, maiden name. So they have a white ass name, and he has the curly hair that he relaxes, and he tries not to be on the sun so he can stay pale. But he has darker skin than I do. Um, but he, you did not detect blackness in him whatsoever. He's he's he looks more Mexican, I think, than than you could say like looking black, um, and. in my case i have black features but i'm paler i have straighter hair although it's starting to curl up now that i'm getting older but for your sister to look more latina and embrace the jewish side more and you to be paler and embrace the latin side more and you're both probably sitting there going i would swap with you look wise
1: (laughs) just so that i could feel like myself (laughs) well i think my sister is like legit secretly the most beautiful woman on the planet so i would always swap with her but I thought that was weird <laughs> little, uh, uh, yeah, I know I, I, I it's just funny the way siblings are like that. And it's not that I don't like I just did uh, birthright Israel this summer. Yeah, okay. Um and that was what was really cool about doing that trip was I did it with my friend Michelle who is also half Cuban and half Jewish. But her Cuban side isn't black. Oh. Um so she's like half Latina and half white. Um but going on that trip with her was like and um, he not just because we had that in common we had that bond but like when we were in Israel there's like Israeli Cuba they like that's like a popular vacation spot for them there's like Cuban art museums everywhere well not everywhere but there was like we went to an art museum and there was a whole mm. display of Cuban artists and it was like what and that's I just thought that was really
0: <laughs> yeah Um, so can I ask because I think I know this but I because I'm not Jewish I'm not 100% sure you get to identify as ethnically Jewish through your mother's heritage and not your father's heritage if you happen to have a jewish father you would still need a jewish mother to be considered jewish
1: depends on like which sect of judaism you come from but yes like historically that's the case it's a matrilineal culture um that is still incredibly patriarchal because like it's a monotheistic religion yeah um, that (laughs) has a male god um but that is like yeah so, because my mother is Jewish, I will always be considered a Jew by Jewish people. Um, I I was raised like pick your own religion. These are this is like your heritage on both sides. We celebrated everything. Mm. Uh, but so when I was really little, my dad's mom was like our our nanny she lived with us and she took care of us and my both my parents worked um and she was catholic so she would take us to church she would take us to mass um like in spanish Uh (laughs) and um but then my mom's family was like really present, too. And um, I really tried to be Jewish for most of my life. Like I got bought Mitzvah and everything. And then when I was in college, I had this like conversion experience and like went through catechism and everything and became Catholic. And then like right around the time I started questioning my whole identity. So um, a couple of years ago, which is also the like Saturn returns period of your life, you know, when you're in your late 20s, um, I was like really questioning my belief system. And I've come to realize that I don't really believe in anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really love the heritage and the culture and um, celebrating the holidays is really important to me.
0: So that's interesting. You're an apostate from... Two religions. Yeah. <laughs> which I haven't met anybody who has said that before. That's interesting. Um, my, so I'm a, never- I'm a lifelong atheist, but, but I was raised in the Baptist church and then the non-denominational church, but I never believed in God the entire time. And my husband is an apostate from like Protestant Christian. So he's an atheist now, but he, you can still feel, you can still see every now and then that that, indoctrination is there and so it surfaces in really weird ways as an adult um that's very frustrating for him so with you going through that transition two times besides the holidays what are the kind of things back up on you in terms of um past religions.
1: Uh I mean, back up in like the like it, it pops up in a negative way or like, yeah, positive. I guess I mean, either way, it could be positive or
0: negative, but just weird moments in which you're just like, oh, wait, but I don't believe in this stuff anymore. And it just happens oh. to
1: surface. Oh, yeah. So I was I I took a couple of trips in the last two weeks for Thanksgiving. And on the plane, I crossed myself when we were taking off and when we were landing <laughs> like that, I had to do it. And I was like, this is so dumb. But I and I'm, I'm going to say, like, it's not that I don't believe that there's something something out there, because I do. I just don't think anyone's gotten it right. Um, I don't, I can't think of other. I'm sure there are other things I do that are, like, super Jewish or super Catholic that yeah. don't make sense for me to do.
0: It's always one of those things <laughs> that I'm curious about. Um, I'm like, what is the weird thing that happened to you afterwards that kind of re- reminded you you grew up this kind of way? You know, it's just a so weird. And it doesn't have anything to do with yeah militantly mixed but since you brought since you mentioned the religion i'm like yeah let's talk like i'm curious about that kind of stuff
1: oh no but i i for me it does because some my mixedness has to do with being from an interfaith household like yeah i think that's fascinating that yeah that- that one thing stuck in your head. and
0: So that's actually interesting that you say it the way that you did. Like, you're a mixed faith household. <laughs> you're mixed race. Mm-hmm. Mixed culture. Mixed national. Yeah. Um, so we do have a lot in common in terms of, like, <laughs> a lot of intersectionality is going on, but I, I don't necessarily consider myself with the religious intersectionality, but it's interesting that, like, your whole deal ends up, you start to realize, like, my whole thing is mixed. Like, I have yeah. every aspect of my life has some sort of mixedness in it, so, so that's interesting. Interesting that you also have the religion thing. We'll have to talk offline about about those stuff even more because I'm like (laughs) I'm way fascinated into I'm completely distracted. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, Uh, that's cool. All right, well let's get back into some of the other other things that you wanted to talk about about mixedness.
1: Well. So the other thing that in that list of intersectionality is like the coming from two different cultures, Mm -hmm. like being so I can't just say, oh, I'm like first generation because, you know, I'm the daughter of an immigrant. Sure. But I'm also the daughter of um, a family that's been here for five generations now, I think. Yeah. And it's it's two very like perspectives on what it means to be American and like what it means to be mixed race to um, do you have <laughs>
0: this idea of being like an American foreigner? This is a, an idea that I've described myself as because you come from both an immigrant family and a multi-generational American family that you feel like you're both own this place and don't at the same time.
1: Oh, yeah. there are some things that like I, I feel like I'm so American because of being the child of an immigrant like that makes me I feel more American. Mm. Uh, but then also sometimes I like I feel like I can step back from some cultural things and be like, this doesn't make sense to me. Like this things that are like just straight up American they don't it doesn't add up. Um, I like, I I don't know if I would call myself a, an American, like a foreigner, but, and then then that also specifically like my, my own specific upbringing, like Mm -hmm. we were encouraged to embrace, like I was bilingual until I was seven. And then around that time, my grandmother and my Thea had to move to Miami because my grandmother was elderly and needed to, somewhere warm and more comfortable. And when they left, my father decided that we weren't allowed to speak Spanish anymore. Oh, weird. Did So he explain why? being like, no, it was just well, the explanation was you're American, be American, you speak English. Mm. And because it was coming from him, you know, I'm like, I can understand a lot of Spanish. I can when I speak it, I have a, a good accent. Like I sound Cuban-ish. Okay, but my vocabulary is like really childlike. Oh, really? And no matter how muddy, it just doesn't progress. But then I'll I'll dream sometimes in Spanish, and I I've been writing a lot of poetry this year. Um, I'm sure that's another creative project that I'm trying to get off the ground. Is I want to publish a book of poetry. Um, it's like this, yeah. this mash of photographs and poetry poems that I call insta poems. And a lot of them are bilingual poems. Oh, okay. That's awesome. (laughs) And I, and uh, so then I'll look at my, I went to visit my cousin when I was in Florida for Thanksgiving and she and her brother, um, they're trilingual because their parents are deaf. So they are fluent in English, ASL and Spanish. Oh, wow. And I'm just like endlessly jealous of that. Like just because they can like sort of seamlessly travel between different communities that they are legitimately a part of all of them. Yeah. And it's like, you know, especially when my grandmother was still alive, it was like really painful for me that I couldn't have a conversation with her without somebody translating when she was yeah like one of the most important people to me.
0: Yeah. How how do you um, remember how fast it, it took for the Spanish to kind of slip away from you as um after she left?
1: Oh, wow. I don't know. I don't I don't think I've ever thought about that. My memory of that time is pretty, there are a lot of blank spaces. You were pretty um, young too, so. I was pretty young. It was like a really rough time for my family. Um, mm. So like I know a lot of things are just going to stay blank. Yeah. But I want to say I remember I have multiple memories of being told in Spanish, so it must have taken some time for me to desist. Mm-hmm. I, I was kind of like a, a, a sassy bratty child. Like I would climb out of my crib and like I liked to break the rules until around that age. And then I, I became a goody two shoes. <laughs> it was like part and parcel of giving up Spanish, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I had something that I wanted to ask you about. Okay. Because uh, this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Um. So you You both of your parents are mixed. Yeah. And I just I'm kind of fascinated by that. I guess I I'm like thinking about if I ever have kids one day, like how what kind of identities they'll have based and like dependent on who I end up end up with. Was that being mixed part of your childhood or you you've talked about being like growing up feeling black.
0: Yeah, it, it really was. But um, so I feel like through the show, I've kind of discovered that my mixed race experience is somewhat unique from biracial people, not just because there's one race on each side, but because both of my families were very aware of their mixedness. So both of my grandmothers are foreign and both of my grandfathers are American <laughs> GIs. And and so my German Irish Appalachian white grandfather country western singer redhead blue-eyed grandfather went to J- uh, Japan where he was stationed during the Korean War and him and his buddies married my grandmother and her sister and so they were very much a part of the the third wave I believe or the second wave second wave of the Japanese war bride eras so there's three waves of that and and they basically when they came to the states my grandmother had to take classes assimilation classes through the military to become an American wife she had to learn how to cook and clean the way Americans do. She was, they were taught English. They were told not to use their language at home because it would confuse the kids, things like that. And then my dad's side, my dad, My black American grandfather was stationed in England during that same period and married my Caucasian British grandmother. And they're like black hair, blue eyed hmm. Brits because they, well, she was half Welsh and half English and they descend from like Spanish pirates that had been captured during the Elizabeth I reign. And um, so that's why they are like- cool. <laughs> You know, that's why they're darker skinned or they're darker haired anyway. They're not dark skinned um, British. And and so like my Nana stayed British. Like we had pictures of the queen basically in the way like Orthodox <laughs> people have icons as you enter the house that you have to like kiss or whatever. <laughs> Like we had the queen, <laughs> we curtsied to the queen. Oh um, and, uh, you know, and so there was things like culturally when my Nana lived with us, there were, you know, there's afternoon tea and there was um, the process of like how to make a tea. So I'm very snobby about the kind of tea that I drink. It's I prefer loose leaf to bags. I'm and every time I have to drink out of bag tea, I'm just like peasant tea. And uh <laughs> It, you know I have a whole thing um, she would also kind of yeah. stab our fingers with forks if we didn't put our pinkies out which is so ridiculous because it's not even like a, real, a legit British thing it's more of a stereotypical like joke thing but my nana was the type yeah. that like really wanted us to be like upper echelon British which we weren't like my great grandfather was a con artist who had like 12 different names so um, well. so it's weird to think that she was trying so hard to make us look like proper little Brits even though we were American kids so I even had like fork marks on my penis as a kid because of how often so now if you see me drink anything my pinky goes up It's this a reaction um, so like I was I, I lived in a house with my black father and my white British grandmother. My white British grandmother had gollywogs. Are you familiar with those?
1: No. They
0: are the blackface dolls that were really popular in the Jim Crow era and be, later on, even now in British culture, they still have a lot of gollywog. It's like a basically a tar baby. Um, oh my everything God. Everything about it is offensive. She also had uh, her whole kitchen was designed in like uh, Aunt Jemima style, black, dark skin, black, maid, I'm- mammy things. Which um, live- not like her... Tempt to. Base. I cannot tell And Good. because we don't talk anymore I couldn't tell you if this was her way Of embracing my grandfather's <laughs> blackness Or if her way of being like Hella racist but the kind of racist That fucks black guys you know like Because <laughs> my from. No, I, yeah. I don't I, know I don't for know. sure because I've never Talked to her directly but a cousin of mine Had mentioned to me that she had had another Black boyfriend before she married my grandfather oh, wow. So like when I lived on my dad's side We were always in a black neighborhood Or always surrounded by black folks And but then we had my British grandmother there for part of it. Um, So I was immersed in the British culture during the stuff that that we had when we were together. And then I was immersed around black culture in my neighborhoods and, and how I grew up when I grew up in Long Beach. And then when I was with my mom's side, even though my grandmother my Japanese grandmother, who is my favorite person in the family, she she was the one, you know, that we weren't allowed to talk about being black because she didn't want her family to know that we were black. That part was the pain that I had to deal with is like hiding my identity throughout my childhood. Yeah. And, and yet she's still my favorite family member. Uh, she wouldn't speak Japanese to us because the military had told her not to teach her kids. And so by the time I rolled around, she was still paranoid that the military would send her back to Japan if she taught us Japanese. So there's only little bits and pieces pieces of Japanese that I got as a kid, some words that I knew in Japanese before I knew it in English, things like that. Uh, Words that I still struggle with, like left and right, I knew in Japanese before I knew in English, so it's always confusing to me in English, even at 40. Um, Stuff like that. Like, Like that
1: directions will so stick with
0: you. Yeah, it's a weird thing. And uh, and so like culturally at home, we did very Japanese things. We celebrated Japanese New Year, go to Japanese grocery store, we eat a lot of Japanese food. So I feel very Japanese and then I go around Japanese people and suddenly I'm not Japanese anymore because Japanese people aren't mixed friendly. So, you know, I would sit there and use my little Japanese like, Watashi wa desu, and telling people I'm a quarter Japanese and they'll laugh and say like, Like, it's cute that you think you're Japanese, but like, no. So I everywhere I went, we had access to all the different cultures. And um, the only thing that I really didn't get exposed to is my my grandfather, my white grandfather had left when I was still a toddler. So I remember him being a country western singer. And I remember hearing that twangy ass music on occasion and (laughs) stuff like that, like things that I just really hate now. And I can't tell if I hate it because I don't associate myself with that white side or if it's because it's just sounds awful and it's stupid, but (laughs) but like I really, I really hate it. So I never got to really know like the Irish, German, Appalachian type of thing. I just have a couple pictures that I've seen of what their life was like. So it's hard to identify as that, even though I put it in my list because it still is what makes me up. I just don't know anything about it. So like, that's why I have the hierarchy is I spent most of my time around and in black neighborhoods. And then the next amount of time I spent was with Japanese. And then the next amount of time I spent was with my British side. So those are like the core things. None of my family looked the same. Everybody was different colors and different shades. And uh, all of my dad's brothers married people or had babies with people that were different races, too. So I have black and Mexican cousins or siblings. I have black and Japanese and white cousins. I have Japanese and white cousins. I I have light skinned cousins and dark skinned cousins, you know, so like I was always around mixed people. So I always felt normal at home. Then I started going to schools. Mm. And depending on which parent I lived in lived with, I was either a around black kids or I was around uh, white kids and once I started being around white kids when I was older like in high school I was just like y'all are weird like you guys are different <laughs> you know because um, it was so different to how I grew up and um, I was used oh and also because my family was military we were always around mixed people because military people people go to other countries and bring back you know yellow brides and, <laughs> and that's you know or whatever so like I had a bunch of mixed race friends growing up so even as I was sitting there trying to be more black you know having braids and wearing cross colors because that was my time it was early 90s <laughs> things like that i there was times when i wasn't black enough you know mostly black people embraced me but every now and then i wasn't black enough and then i got around white kids and i certainly wasn't white enough i've never once ever been accepted as a as a white person even though i'm half white um and so with them it was just like i was always an other i was this exotic other too because i i was small because you know small framed like a japanese but i had a big old butt and <laughs> big chest like like my black side of the family and yeah, uh, big lips and everything like that. So like I was a weird kind of exotic hot as a teenager, except for I didn't like anybody. So nobody <laughs> you know, like nobody had access to me. And it was, it was just weird to have that kind of I didn't realize I was mixed until people started to identify you got a black girl, butt, you got a yellow girl, you know, you got oh, an Asian yeah. girl skin like that kind of stuff as a teenager is what made me realize I was mixed. So my childhood was very mixed. And yet I didn't know that's what it was was until people started pulling out oh you know you have slanty eyes you have a big old butt you have you know blah 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 blah. so I feel it's probably easier I guess for me to feel grounded in my mixedness because I was always surrounded by mixed people but where I struggle is you know like I've talked to you about the the darker skin issue that I had is wishing that I was darker just to feel normal on occasion like I love being mixed I absolutely love being mixed but I can't help that insecurity that pops up on occasion about not being black enough or um, yeah, not being seen as black when yes. I want to be seen as black.
1: Oh, my gosh. So much of what you said makes it's like, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> so um, something that, that kind of popped out at me was what you were saying about having all of those cousins who were also mixed. And mm-hmm. that's just like so, so cool, because for me growing up, We had both my dad and my mom are from like two sibling households. Like they each had one sibling and their sibling didn't have kids. Oh. So my cousins, so any cousins I have are like second or third. They're like first first cousin once removed or second cousin. Um, And on both sides of the family, they are not mixed. So like my white cousins are... Just white jewish people Mm -hmm. and my cuban cousins are just cubans like their parents married other cubans like stayed in that immigrant community in miami that's like no longer really immigrant community but it's like little it's literally called little havana right so So that they've been here but they still
0: have accents even though they've been here for multiple generations
1: yeah and um so when i looked at my cousins i just saw like oh i don't fit in on either side Mm. (laughs) i saw that from a very early age and i think that's that's interesting um and Some of the cousins what you that I was about, like-
0: referring to were second cousins. So like my mom had me at 15. So her cousins are my age. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, fair enough. A lot of them are my age. Um And from my own mom's side of the family, I do have an aunt that has kids, but I didn't grow up around them because she had got disowned. And then my younger aunt didn't have kids. But my dad's side of the family, they had a bunch of kids. So there were times when I lived with my cousins or they lived with us. Um, Um, and that's why I do I did have that rich cousin life because, um, we all, we were very communal in the beginning. We're not now, we barely talk, but, um, uh, like our whole family barely talks. But, um, when we were kids, we were together a lot. Yeah. Oh. Um,
1: that's, it's just interesting. Cause there's like a, we have a, a lot of things in common, I think, um, with the, like, oh, this person was disowned. Oh, really? We don't talk to them anymore. That definitely happened on my dad's side of the family a lot. Mm. So um, let me ask about that then. Um, cause it's
0: a big and Japanese side, like you fuck around and you are gone and we will never think about you again but on the on the in the latin ex community or maybe specifically the cuban community is that that's a thing of like you betrayed the family and you're done
1: yeah it's i I think it's always more like my experience anyway I would I see it because I don't feel I feel like I can't legitimately say oh I have this authority on the Cuban experience or Latinx but I will say what I've observed my thing. more of like a personal thing so my like if if you if your brother does something to you and you don't like it he's dead to you and you won't talk for 20 years and then one of you will break the ice for some reason like maybe someone's sick Um, oh really yeah And that was like really hard growing up to be suddenly cut off from you love. And that definitely happened with my relationship with my father that Mm -hmm. like he's been out of my life because that's how he operates. Um, Okay, like just disown you and like not ever want to speak to you again. And then all of a sudden it's fine and you don't know why. Hmm. and probably saying that is grounds for getting to <laughs> Um But it's... <laughs> so that's something I struggle actually in integrating my mixed identity as well. And I get this pressure sometimes from my Jewish grandmother, I'll say. Sometimes I feel from her, she's maybe said it explicitly, that like if that, that side of the family rejects you, why would you want to claim it? Like, right. why don't you just be Jewish?
0: Um, because the sore is there, the wound is there and you, you want to feel whole. Yeah. But... Uh, sometimes your family pre- pre- prevents you from being whole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I understand that. Well, it's weird. So my mentality on this, it depends on who I'm talking about. With the Japanese side, because I was raised in a culture that it that will cut you off and then you're never back again. With that side, I'm fully fine never talking to people again. Uh, my mother and I had a falling out a couple summers ago. I don't think about her ever. It doesn't, And well, obviously parts of the mixed race story ends up popping up and I do tell stories about it. But like, I don't miss her or crave her in my life at all. Well, on my dad's side, like I I have memories and, and I miss how I remember things being. But because there's been so much mm. drama and betrayal in the family, I'm applying my Japanese cutoffery to there. And so <laughs> I don't like the feelings don't back up on me. I don't mourn the loss anymore.
1: I mean, I'm jealous of that, honestly, of that the ability to like not have that pain
0: Yeah, uh, the only it's- thing I can say though, like you would definitely have to be raised that way because uh, my husband uh, doesn't understand this concept of me. Like he hear he's heard it for years, so he gets it. But we ran into my aunt who I don't speak to anymore it- at a Japanese event in San Francisco, and um, and I saw her first, and I tried to steer my husband in a way where he wouldn't see her because I knew he was going to try to get us to talk, and we oh, hadn't no. talked in like ten years at this point, and and so and then he noticed her, and he goes, everybody stop and so like my grandmother and my aunt and i and my husband were just like in a parking lot in san francisco all froze for a second and then he's like you guys need to talk and we did the cursory like hi you know I didn't want to make my grandmother uncomfortable because she knew that my aunt and I don't speak anymore so like I hugged her and then my aunt hugged me even though I was totally fine if we didn't hug because we don't talk anymore and so I was like okay nice to see y'all but we're meeting some people here so have a nice day and I'm ready to walk away because like I was raised this way and oddly enough I was raised by that aunt to be this way and so as we're walking away I feel fine. I only feel bad for my grandmother that she had to be put in the position of that awkwardness and um, and that I talked to my grandmother a, a week or so later when she was with my mom so it was it was easy for that to happen but my husband was like why didn't you take that opportunity to mend the fences and I'm like Cause that's not what we do. Wow. And I don't know, like, so I wouldn't even know how to tell people to feel that way. It was just like little weird lessons that you get as from as young as you can be of like that person wronged you, no second chances. Bye. And I I probably should have more feelings, but I don't. I get over people really quickly, and I move on. The only time, the only person I would say that I have any kind of codependency or like it would be really hard to separate from would be my husband. Um, we been together for 18 years uh, almost 19 years so like which is weird because it's not like I hadn't been with my family for that long I don't know what I'm talking about I don't know so there's a different level like with my husband it would be very difficult but with my family or with friends where things don't go right I just cut it and I it doesn't back up on me. It doesn't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a positive, but I don't think of it as a negative. Does that make sense? Like if you. Oh yeah, that
1: if, makes Yeah. <laughs> it's something that sounds kind of fucked up that like it maybe isn't, it's not for everyone and it's a very much a cultural. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be on to you, But since it works for you, why fight it?
0: Yeah. I, I get asked a bunch, like, don't you ever miss them? And I'm like, yeah, sometimes, but not in a way that makes me want to change my life. Like, I'm very much true to myself in, in all ways. And certain betrayals to go back into that kind of situation for me would cause me more harm, I think, than just whatever harm, quote unquote, that I would be experiencing by their absence right now. So, like, I'm okay to ride this wave. But because I'm also multicultural and multinational, too, I can see how on the flip side, if I'm flipping to the other side, you know, if I'm code switching emotionally, then it'd be like <laughs>
1: code switch you know
0: it's like if i'm yeah. watching it in a movie i'm just like they should forgive each other and yet i wasn't raised with the concept of forgiveness so so it's a weird thing in which like in my family it has to be this way or with my friends or the people closest to me it has to be this way but for other yeah. people i'd be like oh if you miss them you need to go and mend that fence or whatever like i i wouldn't
1: even take my own advice in that <laughs> in that way to me, what you said, like that forgiveness is not a, an option, or that—that's funny. That's making me think back about the the catholicism thing that like i think like a big thing that drew me to christianity for a while was the concept of like god is love and forgiveness hmm. which is not, not well practiced I, uh, um the jewish god is also a god of love but it's also like more explicitly a god of vengeance it's an older yeah, old testament exactly um and the the concept of like loving the person like loving your enemy and all of those things i think i was really drawn to that because I grew up with a father who was unforgiving Uh, like with and he's he's the one who was raised Catholic so bizarre Go for that one yeah (laughs) um I just looked up and I saw this I want to talk about the doll your grandma's doll again because my oh you looked it up uh, no 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 I just like looked up out of the corner of my eye and saw on my shelf a doll that I have that my so I couldn't I think I told you this when we talked the first time but I've been saying grandmother because I feel a little embarrassed about this but when I was a little kid I couldn't say abuela Well so I called her booba and everyone called her booba my my dad mom well she was a seamstress and she made all sorts of crazy like cupcake dresses you know like mm-hmm. really frothy lacy things for me and my sister which I loved but she also made us these dolls I looked up these dolls have brown skin they're like brown fabric but then the one that's in better shape has red yarn hair and like blue stitching for her eyes Mm. like that is this doll is like I gotta send you a picture of her yeah please um like of course I wanted to be darker because that's like what I was raised with, like my yeah, my booba. And to like the doll that I that I loved, like I'll send you also a picture of the older one who's like, you can see how well loved she is. <laughs> um, her dress is falling off. Um, and I just think that's so fascinating. There's um, did you little feel represented in- when you got to play with that doll? Oh my god, when she made me a doll that had red yarn hair. I was like the the reason that doll is in perfect condition is because I treated it like it. we moved a lot. And that was always like the first thing on my shelf. And mm. she's yeah, that doll like, and me and when I figured out I was never going to be that dark. Oh, man. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny so we've come to the
0: end of our talk. Um, before we go, Oh wait, no, no, no. Okay. Before we go two things. The first thing is I want to ask you, what do you love about being mixed?
1: Oh, I love that question so much. Um, I love that I come from everywhere and I feel like I have pretty deep connections to the places that my family's from. And I feel like it's, for me, being mixed is kind of like my artistic superpower. Um, I, I thought it was a, like a hindrance for so long, but I'm starting to realize that so many of the things that make me an artist, that make me a an actress and a singer and a writer come from the experience of not looking like my family, not seeing families like mine on, in, in any of the entertainment I grew up with, come from being forced to code switch throughout my whole childhood, literally between languages, but also between modes of interaction um, and just being forced to have empathy across the board and being able to look at people of all races and see like, oh, this person is connected to me, like that human connection that I think I I, I don't think it gets taught in the same way to a monoracial child. Um, so yeah, that um, crazy empathy. <laughs> All right. And before we go, is there any
0: parting words that you that you want f- to say to the audience? Um, I just I
1: feel like we covered pretty much everything because we talked for so long. And night. <laughs> cool cool I, <laughs> I hope everyone enjoys it. But I want to share my mission statement for life. I really hope that this conversation and the work that I do empower other mixed race people, specifically girls, to see that there's a place for them in the arts. Hmm. and to use their voices that's it that's all i have to say <laughs> thank
0: you for coming thank you for being Hi. on with me and talking to me for hours i think we did this the last time too oh we so did we i'm did, very right? happy yeah 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 so um anytime please come back we'll talk we have like 14 other more topics that we want to cover uh, with each other so <laughs> just just feel free to always come back and thank we'll talk you soon. thanks for having right. thank me thank you so much Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.